A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mott. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Creating a balanced, sustainable approach to your data mesh journey. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Kieran Prakash, who's a principal engineer at ThoughtWorks. Some key takeaways or thoughts from Kieran's point of view. First one, potentially controversial. You must have exec sponsorship to move forward with your data mesh implementation. You need the top-down push for necessary reorganization when those times come, you know, a Scott note, personal note here. I don't think this one's actually controversial, controversial. I just think it's one that a lot of people don't want to hear and that more people need to have this put in front of them, right? It's often ignored. Number two, another potentially controversial one. Data mesh, if done well, doesn't need to have a huge barrier to entry. That's a misconception. If you think about gradual improvement and evolution, you'll be on the right track. So this one is about that People think that you have to have your entire vision laid out and you have to have buy-in from everyone and that you have to have everything kind of teed up before you get moving. You can have it be pretty small and you don't have to be like, this is our new data strategy. It's like, this is what we're using to try and accomplish these few goals to start. Number three, quote unquote, the curse of the data lake monster. This was an article Kieran had had put together in a concept, and it was like the data field of dreams. There was this expectation that if you build a great data lake, value will just happen. If you ingest and process as much data as you can, the use cases will just happen. They'll just emerge. And it really wasn't the case. 
So we should apply that product thinking to focus on what matters. So he was thinking about this in 2019, and then Data Mesh kind of came along as well uh, a couple of months after he put out his, his blog post. Number four, this curse was a manifestation of Conway's law. The strong separation between IT and the business led to mismatched goals and subpar outcomes. With microservices, that started to be much less of an issue on the operational plane. So why not try to do some of the same things with data? Number five, it's easy to lose sight of Conway's law and aim for distributed architecture first, but the organizations doing data mesh well are changing their architecture and cultural approaches and patterns together. Don't try to do the architecture first. You really don't know what your key challenge is will be just yet. You don't know what you're going to need to tackle via your architecture. And so a lot of people are making decisions that aren't really going to help <laughs> tackle their specific challenges. Number six, it's very important to have a target operating model and get clear on your organizational vision and purpose around data. How will you actually use data? How will this be part of, you know, like I talk a lot about data practice and you need to create kind of that data practice concept of how does this work in day-to-day -day operations. Number seven, once you have an organizational vision and purpose, domain should start setting goals aligned to that vision and purpose. You know, don't have them set goals before you have that vision and purpose. So once you start to do that, then you can start to do that around data. Number eight, as others have noticed, don't get ahead of yourself. Work in thin slices for your data mesh implementation. Stay balanced at an overall level between the data mesh principles as you add more and more thin slices, but don't try to solve all problems up front. And if something doesn't require a ton of governance, that's not a red flag, right? If all of your first 20 use cases don't require very much governance, that's a big red flag. So you want to stay that kind of balanced, but each one thin slice may be kind of differently balanced. Number nine, if you modernize your legacy software but don't change the organization, expect to do the same modernization in about five years. Data, how we're trying to approach data and data mesh is about using software as you know approaches, and it's the same thing here. If you don't change the organization, expect to keep trying to do this same thing every, you know, three to five years. Number 10, to really get to a scalable approach to data mesh, you should look for organizational and process reuse as much as you look for tech and architectural and data reuse. Number 11, move from measuring outputs to measuring value outcomes. It sounds simple. It isn't. And it's crucial to changing your mindset around how you approach data. Number 12, potentially controversial, a really key way to look at um, your progress is to use the four key metrics from the DORA, right, uh, around DevOps to measure how well you are doing in your software engineering practices in general. A key aspect of Data Mesh is about applying good software engineering practices to data after all. Number 13, if you want to measure the value of your data work, you need to break it down into tangible objectives. Ask the owners of those objectives to provide the value of meeting the objectives. Then look to measure how much data work 
contributed to achieving those objectives, right? You need to think about this and break it down when you think about the value, because otherwise people say, what was the value of this? What is the value of what you're trying to achieve? You tell me, and then we'll talk about how much data work actually helped you achieve those or, or tackle those. Number 14, think of a use case as a value hypothesis. You are making a bet that something will have value. It's okay to be wrong. That's the nature of betting. But limit the scope of your mistakes so you learn and adjust towards value instead of making big mistakes and then all of a sudden there's this big, you know, hullabaloo because this thing didn't go well, right? Make it so that these mistakes are the learning opportunities so you pivot towards the value. Number 15, another potentially controversial one. If you don't have a culture where it's okay to set, to fail, it will be very hard to do data mesh well. Personal note on here, I think it will essentially be impossible to do data mesh well if you don't have a culture where it's okay to fail. Number 16, many times what people consider minimum viable product is neither minimum nor viable. This is often due to a culture where you can't test things with users when they're still very rough. If you don't have this, that will limit your success with data mesh. However, most people are reasonable. So if you read them in that this will be a rough sketch or first iteration, they usually are on board to help you iterate towards the good. Number 17, quote unquote, architecture is about the important stuff, whatever that is. This was a quote by uh, Ralph Johnson that Martin Fowler likes to say. Number 18, Always think about necessary capabilities and build to those. The most important are those capabilities you need now. Don't get ahead of yourself, right? Don't lock yourself in so you can't meet future capability needs. But as well, people are, are trying to focus too much on getting to all of the capabilities because this is how we've always built data is to have all of the features, you know, all of the data platform, all of the data offerings. It's about the features. It's about the cool tech. It's not about the capabilities. Flip that. Think about the capabilities. And finally, number 19, the data platform is, is really a misnomer. There will be multiple platforms. Users care about their services, not if you have one platform or five or more, right? Don't have platform sprawl where you have, you know, 20 different platforms, but don't over-centralize. That usually leads to scaling and flexibility challenges. That's part of the thing that a lot of data mesh likes to uh, kind of approach and, and help us solve. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Kiran Prakash here, who's the principal engineer at ThoughtWorks. Um, yes, uh, another person from the uh, ThoughtWorks Germany team, but I, I really like talking with them. They've been putting out a lot of great content. And we're going to cover a lot of different things, but kind of one of the things that we're going to talk about is this 
where a lot of people have gotten burned of that kind of the curse of the data lake monster. And then when you start to say, we're going to do a new approach to data, then people start to go, ah, oh, didn't we already get this? Didn't, wasn't this uh, a thing that we already tried? And, you know, how that difference and, and how we can think about that with data mesh. Um, how, when you really are looking at a data mesh implementation, you need what uh, Kieran was saying is a, is a balanced tool, right? You can't go overly technical, can't go overly organizational. You have to kind of have that people process technology and that you don't try to overcorrect in one way, but that it's also okay to go a little further in one at one point, as long as you're catching up and that you're not getting super, super unbalanced because then the stool falls over. Um, how do we constantly think about getting out of your own way and shipping value early and often, right? Like this is something where a lot of people are treating data mesh, not as an incremental build. They're treating it like a data project instead of data as a product and that you're building and that you get a minimum viable product out and that it's not, I have delivered the project and it is done. Um, and then like, where should we look at building out the necessary tech for, for data mesh? Like where to start, where people should actually look at it, how, people can actually think about a data product and, and how you can kind of measure your progress as to whether you're doing well or, or not. So uh, before we get to that, uh, Kieran, if you don't mind giving people a bit of a background on yourself, and then we can get into the conversation at hand. Yeah, sure. Uh, hi, Scott. Nice to nice to have the chat with you. And uh, my name is Kiran. Uh, I'm a principal engineer from ThoughtWorks based out of Berlin. Uh, I've been with ThoughtWorks for close to 18 years now and uh, started out as a full stack engineer but over the last three or four years i've been exclusively so focused on data i'm one of the senior leaders in our data and ai service line and over the last two and a half three years uh, exclusively exclusively on data mesh i've been helping different clients sort of implement their data mesh consulting um, consulting them on how to start their journey and and yeah um, um uh, recently i've been playing the role of technical principal on uh, arguably one of the uh, largest data mesh implementations we have. Yeah, so that's my uh, brief background. Yeah, and, and we had uh, Amara on as well, and uh, we've had right. Omar <laughs> Kawaja at, at Roshan <laughs> yeah. as well. So, so you, um, had, you had a full team, yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, so why don't we start with kind of your concept of, of what you've been calling the curse of the data lake monster and what that is and kind of how that manifests, but also like, what does that mean? Why is that important when people are thinking about uh, implementing data mesh? Yeah, so the curse of the data log monster is a, is a blog post I, uh, I I co-published with one of my colleagues in, in 2019, um, even before data mesh was a big thing, right? Uh, because one of the things I was uh, seeing uh, often done is in, in many of our large clients was uh, building data platforms, right? And, and their idea of uh, building data platforms is uh, install Hadoop or, or whatever the latest... Uh, um, big data technology out there, just connect uh, it to all your sort of operational system in just terabytes of data, and then sort of hoping that somebody will come and make use of it, right? And, and the second step of somebody coming and, and using the data to do something productive never almost never happened. It rarely ever happened, right? And and this is where in that in that blog post we make an argument saying that hey why, why can't we apply the same product thinking principle to the world of data why don't we sort of build this in thin slices instead of uh, starting it as yet another platform initiative and and just measuring how many data terabytes of data I'm ingesting and how many tables I'm 
uh, creating and, and whatnot. But what about the value? How much value are you generating? How much business value are you generating? Is there anybody even using it to, to build cool stuff within your organization? And this is what we call uh, the curse of data like monster uh, because uh, just we saw this pattern happening over and over and over again in, in many different organizations. I can I can think of a few reasons why this happened, right? Looking back, uh, and one of the main reason is in at least in large organizations, this separation between sort of business and IT, right? And business had their own problem, and then sort of IT was a bunch of technically minded people, and for them everything looks like nails, right? So it's just one more platform away, like from solving all the problems within the, within the organization, and. And and it was a for engineers it was an easy thing to do right it was a cool thing to do also like this new technology which can which can process all this data and and scale horizontally scale and and whatnot and and it was too much of a hassle to talk to business and 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 talk about are they are they finding this useful are they using it to build anything generate value right it was too much right it was basically Conway's law playing it out there was this artificial separation between and and business and and platform. Uh, which I thought, uh, which I think is is probably the primary reason. That sort of changed with around 2014, 2015 with, with coming of so microservices, right? Um, the, the organizations start thinking about having smaller teams aligned with their sort of business domain who is sort of quickly respond, responsive to the, the needs of that particular domain. And and somehow like the, the world of data kind of stayed oblivious to it all along until until very recently, 2019, until Zamak uh, sort of coined this term and started talking widely about it. Uh, I think that's also because maybe the, the 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 area of data engineering was sort of too specialized and, and it was a bit removed from uh, the world of general software engineering, which was kind of embracing this practice of domain-driven design, microservices, working closely with the business domain, uh, shipping sort of things faster, uh, using cloud to sort of do all of this, uh, and and I think I'm I'm glad that this is changing. I'm glad that uh, sort of people are kind of embracing this domain-driven design within the world of data as well, and starting to think about okay, not just like building more platforms, but how do I work with the business to sort of ship value, create business value, right? I'm I'm really glad that this is at least happening right now. And do you think then when we're looking at something like data mesh and that, you know, yes, it's, it's applying some of the microservices practices. And, you know, I, I love when somebody just says, oh, data mesh is just microservices for data. And it's like, oh, my sweet summer child. No, no, there's, <laughs> there's a lot more. But yes, that is an important pattern to, to take into to account. But like, we've seen decentralization not work in the past because people have gone to data marts and there wasn't any focus on, you know, decentralize all the things instead of decentralize where it makes sense and centralize where it makes sense and have, you know, coordination or, you know, kind of have that federated approach where you have a centralized governing body of certain aspects, but that you're giving as much of the power as you can, you put it in the people's hands who actually have the context to make the the kind of proper day-to-day decisions and so that you're not having to you know if if you have to ramp up on context for every decision then 
you know, that's why all the decisions take so long and why often they're bad and why they're often defensive because you don't actually know all of the potential issues. So it's like if, if I just, uh, you know, feel like I don't know what are my unknown unknowns or whatever, then I'm just going to say no. But when you think about what we went through with Data Lake and you're talking to companies about data mesh and you start to say, okay, we're going to decentralize this stuff after, you know, data lake was promised as this new thing where it's a, it's, you know, distributed, but not decentralized architecture. And how is this so different? Are you finding that people are getting it because they just didn't see the value from the data lake or are they just frustrated from yet another approach and it feels like and this is why people think that data mesh is a technology or anything like that are you are you finding that it was a tougher sell you know two years ago and now it's not as much and people are really starting to get it or like i'm just trying to figure out like if somebody's considering it in their own organization where do you think there is is kind of the failures of data lake in a lot of ways? Is that going to help or hinder them in these conversations? Right, right. First of all, I don't think we're still very early on in the journey, right? I still don't find it sort of easy to convince somebody on, on data mesh. It's still, people need to sort of uh, reflect on their own experience and then, and then sort of uh, be willing to try it and then sort of learn from that, right? So it's still not a given or an easy sell. We are far too early in the journey uh having said that how how this thing is different uh is if you look at the the first two principles of data mesh right which is about domain driven uh um, sort of domain aligned teams and, and and data as a product it has very little to do with technology it is about organizational change it is about basically aligning your data engineering team closer to the business where they can take the call and data as a product is primarily about up applying product thinking to data. Is am I building the right thing which is valuable? Uh, am I thinking about the, the consumer who will be using it? Uh, am I thinking about the various uh, um, modes of access that they will be consuming this data from? Right? And and am I building something that makes them happy? All of this is sort of product thinking. It, uh, and only later it is about technology change, right? And it's about once you federate those teams, do you have the platform and the governance capabilities to sort of make these federated teams sort of successful? I think that's the biggest shift, which we try to sort of communicate over and over again. And, and some organizations have started getting it, right? Uh, and and this is this is why I, I think it could make a big difference. And this is how it is different from, let's say, previous approaches to just sort of uh, distribute your architecture uh, in, in terms of data lakes, many different data lakes on the cloud and whatnot. So this is data mesh. We say it's a socio-technical paradigm. It's not enough if you just sort of um, distribute your architecture, but you also need to change your organization to sort of to, to continue on uh, sort of evolving your, your, your technology, right? Otherwise, you'll succumb to the Conway's law, right? If you, if you don't change your organization and if you only change your tech, Pretty soon, you will you will see that the tech will start reflecting the communication patterns of your teams, and that means that if you have like monolithic teams far removed from business, uh, you will soon fall back onto uh, something that looked like like the, the the centralized data lakes or or data warehouse, and I see that like people are sort of getting that that message, um, 
and uh, and we at least I whenever I, I speak to a new potential client, I try to sort of reinforce this aspect, saying that hey, adopting data mesh has implications beyond just technology, and and you need to be ready for it. Uh, which also means that it like one of the implication of this is uh, in at least in large organization. Um, a successful data mesh transformation needs some kind of a top-down push or a top-down mandate uh, because it's not easy to affect these um, uh, sort of reorganizations in terms of uh, uh, domain-aligned teams and, and, and maybe changing your reporting structure for having your engineering teams not just be accountable for IT but also for business. These are all not sort of easy change. It needs some blessings from sort of top management to sort of uh, make it happen. Yeah, there, there's not a magic wand that you just wave and this happens. But I, I think, uh, you know, Vanya Seth was on recently, you know, a um, colleague of yours, and um, she was talking about kind of selecting your blast radius and being like, right. hey, we shouldn't have uh, everything. We shouldn't put all of our eggs in one basket. We shouldn't try to uh, completely rearrange the entire organization in, you know, uh, just a very, very short period of time or anything like that. So um, how do you think about that? And how do you think about like what a lot of people have talked about is thin slices? And maybe if you could define that, because it comes up a lot, but I don't think it gets defined very often. But then talk about that kind of balanced stool approach as to you're adding your thin slices on. And if you keep having like tilted slice and they're tilted in the same way, you know, you're not going to build that balanced stool as you're going, but that you're also not trying to say, okay, we are going to need to reorg when we think about the way that we're doing this, but I'm not going to reorg the entire company to do data mesh. And I'm not going to say domains, you now own all of your data versus enabling domains to own their data. So if you could talk about that kind of early days and, and how this approach and, and thin slicing really works and how people can actually think about if I'm early in my journey, how should I think about it? And maybe even as they progress in their journey, how do you keep adding that it's only thin slicing that you're not right. all of a sudden trying to, to go into big scale project mode instead of kind of that incremental product mode? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a really good question. And and I'll take my time to sort of probably answer this because one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm looking, seeing there is people sort of perceive data mesh uh, has a, a huge barrier for entry, right? You need to do all of this organizational change, change your reporting structure to, for, it, for it to be uh, successful, right? While we keep, keep saying the opposite, right? So you need to be clear about your target operating model. You, you need to clear, be clear about where you're going, right? Uh, so we, we tend to use an operating model which is based on uh, a model called Edge, which is which basically the main concept there is that you need to have your organizational sort of vision and purpose clarified. Like, how do you want to uh, use your data to to do what, uh, and and what is your strategy to sort of get there, right? How do you want to use leverage data in your organization? So, sort of have that purpose, vision, sort of clarified, and then sort of tell your domains to come up with sort of goals which is as aligned with your broader organizational vision. Uh, and also come up, not just goals, but also value hypothesis in terms of how do they want to achieve these goals and how do you measure uh, when when you sort of, uh, you're, you're moving in the right direction. So how does it look if this hypothesis sort of comes true, right? It could be things like, I reduce my lead time from X days to Y days, or it could be that 
uh, I would reduce my inventory sort of holding cost by X dollars. So it could be like this is sort of the hypothesis you're making, and and the measure is this is this thing uh, uh, like lead time or or uh, holding cost or customer satisfaction, any anything that that you can actually measure, right? Once you do that, you can give the domain sort of uh, autonomy to shape their approach. Like, what kind of, how do they, what platforms do they want to build on? How does it align with the broader sort of uh, uh, data strategy of the organization? And what is the first thing they are going to build? What is the first use case they are going to address? And then set up teams who go about sort of realizing it, right? And this is the target. This is the target operating model. This is how you want your organization to function in a, let's say, mid to longer term. And you're not going to get there in on day one. And we say the way to get there is via thin slices. And these thin slices is not just the thin slice of software you're going to build, but it's the thin slice of uh, what is the first governance practices you're going, to, you're going to put in place? What is the first thin slice of platform you're going to build so that these data product teams can function? So it's a thin slice of all of these aspects, like thin slice of what is the software and data product you are going to build? What is the thin slice of platform you're going to put in place? And what is the thin slice of maybe the governance and organizational change you're going to affect in the direction of your target operating model, how you eventually see your organization's uh, sort of uh, work. The way to arrive at this thin slice, at least in the, uh, what we say is like work backwards from your use cases. You made those value hypotheses, right? Which is like, if I build this data product, it will help me achieve this goal, right? So that's, a, and you can sort of uh, elaborate that into use case. So, uh, which is, I would want to build this data product, which helps my back office team to to make this, uh, whatever a decision, take, take this action based on data. And then from there, work backwards to identify what data products you need to build to satisfy this use case? What source data products do you need? Uh, and then identify like the thinnest possible slice you can you can build, which is which you can put in front of that back office person or or, or whoever your target user is uh, to sort of play around. It could be the beta users. It it could not be the final thing you'll you'll end up building, but it could be it could be something that the customer can have a look and give an early feedback on, right? And then think about sort of what platform capabilities I need to put in place. It could be simple things like storage, compute, uh, and and maybe some access control policy, uh, sort of mechanism, right? Those are the, maybe the th- only three things you need as part of your platform to begin with. And as part of governance uh, and operating model, you start kind of uh, defining what a data product owner role looks like, and and you start identifying people and 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 giving them that responsibility, right? So that could that could be the first thin slice is uh, that you 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 can start with your journey on, and you almost want to sort of evolve your mesh one thin slice one domain at a time. You don't want to sort of build it all at once, but you want to evolve it one thin slice at a time, as I defined uh, just now. So uh, two different things that I'd like to go down, but first let's start with uh, I, I want to get to the thing where you talked about kind of measuring that value and and kind of. Uh, thinking about it ahead of time and then measuring, did we meet that? And was that the data's fault? Was that our hypothesis fault or what, you know? Um, But let's talk about how you are, when you are adding these thin slices, you can get unbalanced between people, process, technology. And even when you're doing thin slicing, you can. So can you give some examples of what goes wrong when you're too focused on organizational versus technology or technology versus organizational. Like what, what, what does that start to look like? And then we can talk about like 
how do you measure if you are staying balanced and how do you correct yourself if you, if you find that you're not balanced? Sure. So maybe let's look at the, the most common pattern we see, which is framing this data mesh as like a purely technology initiative, right? So, so if you do that, uh, what, you, what you, you, you might find is, uh, I have this like famous quote, which I like, right? Uh, not famous, but something I read, uh, which is, if you, if you I, this, is, this was in regards to sort of legacy migration, and it applies to the, maybe the data mesh context also, which is, if you, if you change your legacy uh, software and do nothing to uh, change your organization uh, uh, to sort of operate in the new mode, expect to do this legacy modernization again in sort of five years, right? Uh, because those sort of old habits is hard to let go. Uh, if you only sort of introduce this new architecture and and do not sort of introduce this domain-oriented uh, data teams and, and product thinking, you can you can surely expect like in few months or few years down the line, the same old habits of sharing data over a network drive and, and doing shadow ITs and 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 building more platforms instead of building useful products, you will you will start seeing this pattern recurring, right? So you need to pay attention to this also. Like, yeah, you are building. This is a technology shift, right? You are you are you are kind of moving from centralized uh, architecture to kind of a more of a decentralized architecture. But once you do that, you need to change your organization to make sure that these changes kind of stick, and 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 your organization uh, organization sort of doesn't fall back to the old habits. So that's the one thing, focusing too much on, on technology and, and framing this as a technology shift. But if you only sort of focus this, uh, frame this as an organizational or a governance change, then your federated data product teams, they may not have the necessary tools to operate in this new federated environment, right? So that means that you may find um, different data product teams solving the same problem over and over again right they 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 again each or each of them sort of independently figure out what is the best way to compute uh, do computation over, over the data right like to use x tool or y tool and how to do access control uh, how do i monitor my 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 data products and, and pipeline right so they'll start sort of refiguring this solving these problems all over again and and that's a waste right you want to provide them with a platform uh, which makes it just easy to build and operate this data product and and they can the product teams can only focus on creating value and not just solving hard engineering problems over and over again right this is what you want to achieve so basically if you kind of federate your teams and don't give them the ecosystem and 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 tools to to operate in this new environment you'll see a lot of waste you will see basically yeah, people solving the same problem over and over again, or they build data products, and each but each one of them kind of mean uh, when they say data product, they mean a different thing, and you you'll find that these data products are not interoperable, which kind of defeats the one of the main purpose of of uh, data mesh, which is that you're building these reusable uh, data product which you can interconnect with one another and, and to create this network effect of sorts, right? So those are the risks. So you need to pull on both these levers at once to see to see that uh, the data mesh is kind of a successful uh, um, transformation sort of effort within your organization. You can't just sort of focus on one or the other. 
Yeah, it's not, like a lot of what you're talking about is almost capability silos of if, if everybody's doing the same things over and over, they're going to do them in different ways because they're trying to get to their end outcome. And Correct. then it's not even it's it's waste, you know, think of reuse from capabilities and ways of working and things like that. It's not just that uh, this is the thing that's come up more and more is that people think of reuse just being about the data itself and just creating data products that are usable for multiple different use cases. And it's like, no, it's everything. When you think about product ways, you think about scaling, you think about you don't have everybody doing the same thing over and over. You think about specialization. You think about that as to within that domain, but you have those centers of excellence to kind of think about how do we enable people? How do we actually, how do we train people? How do we give them the capabilities to do this? How do we give them the capabilities to do this from a technical, like technology standpoint that we hand them to do this easily and so that they are inherently interoperable or that it's somewhat difficult to make something that is not interoperable and that you, uh, you know, provide them the, the ways of thinking and the way the capabilities and put that in front of them. Um, I did want to then say, like, how do you measure, how do you think about if you are unbalanced? How do you think about, like, seeing, hey, we've gone too far one way or we've gone too far the other, and how do you course correct, right? Like, how do you measure that and how do you actually get yourself out of a a bad situation? Yeah. Yeah. So how how do I know? What do I measure, right? I think this is is a tough one because... um, I'll tell you what not to do, right? And then I'll probably sort of think of what what my idea of like uh, what to do, right? What not to do is sort of move away from sort of measuring outputs to to sort of value outcomes, right? Which is, it doesn't matter how many terabytes of data you're ingesting. It doesn't matter how many data products you built. It doesn't matter how many lines of code you wrote. Uh, or it doesn't matter how fast your uh, pipeline, data ingestion pipeline is, right? What matters is, is it having the desired business outcome? Uh, I I remember like one of the, like basically, I, I don't know who it was uh, on LinkedIn, one of the data leaders, he was saying like his theme for 2023 is that where is my money, right? So that's the ultimate measure. Like is, is, is the, all the engineering effort that your data engineering teams are putting, like is it having the desired effect on business? If not, maybe then you need to sort of do something uh, better. So that means that maybe it could be that the, the the teams are not clear about what is a valuable thing to build, which is that communication between what is really sort of important for the domain and the business uh, is not sort of distilling down to the uh, your engineering teams. You got to fix that, right? You need to make that very clear and and put in place to sort of incentivize them to sort of build build uh, what is actually valuable. And and this is a this is a problem which doesn't happen in startups, right? It mostly happens in in organization because of this separation I was talking about. In you don't ever hear startups talking about how much uh, uh, data, like how efficient uh, is the data pipeline or how big is their big data, right? You you only sort of hear are they profitable? Are they how how uh, fast are they growing? How how well are they doing sort of targeted marketing and how well how well are they using data to sort of uh, drive new use cases? So that needs to sort of get into the uh, sort of front and center. And then basically you need to question, that's the ultimate sort of measure. But the problem is in, in large organization, the, the 
the the engineering teams may not see the direct connection right they they see this if you put the sort of the business metric in front of them and say that you, you need to um, do whatever it takes to to achieve this a uh, lot of the time they they don't see how their actions directly contributes towards it because there is usually a lot more things to needs to happen before you achieve that business outcome uh maybe there you can provide certain metrics um which which tells them are they doing sort of job as efficiently as as they can um i'm i'm a big fan of these four key metrics right uh, from from that dora research which talks about um like how fast is your sort of uh, pipeline and uh, how often when you deploy like do you introduce bugs uh when something fails how long do you take to sort of recover from it right and and what is sort of the on uh, on an average sort of how many bugs do you introduce for like per whatever x number of uh, commits right so those are the things which will tell them are they doing their software engineering sort of as well as they can and we now have sort of well defined research which says that if the teams are doing this well they'll also be in a high kind of uh, this contribute contributes to sort of high performing sort of businesses and 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 uh engineering teams right so maybe you can use that like the engineering teams they, they can use these metrics to sort of make sure that they are functioning as well as they can they have all the necessary tools like for example if their lead time is too slow it could be because maybe they don't have like the the necessary capability on the platform to kind of deliver the uh data product uh, as fast as they could or if they if it takes far too long to sort of get into production it could be because they don't have like a good monitoring or or test automation so you need to do that right you need to put your focus on fixing that uh, and 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 also make sure that every other data product teams has that same cap- same capability to 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 adapt um so that's sort of my kind of long winded answer it's like try to see if 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 like the ultimate measure is the is the business outcome you're expecting uh but if you think um or you should also sort of think about like your 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 engineering teams are are they kind of being as efficient as as they can and you could use something like four key metrics to sort of measure that uh, and fix fix things where where if uh, if something is is uh, missing yeah the the only issue with that is that nobody has any benchmark right now right so it's like <laughs> i i i'm i'm benchmarking against what? But um, so I, I did want to go into that. I had a really good episode with uh, Pink Shu at Vista on measuring value of data work and her perspective on it. And, and I think this is the right perspective is you can't the data team or the, the platform team can do work, but they can't actually measure the value of the work. They can measure the impact and right. somebody else or that you create a framework for even measuring that that impact and then somebody else places value on that and then you ask them to place value on that ahead of time and then you can measure whether that value of the impact actually made sense so what you would say is okay we're going to do this work and we expect it to to uh reduce cycle times for a new data product from 4 weeks to 2 weeks right what is the value of that? They're not the ones that can say, and that creates X amount of value. They'd go to their 
partners in, in the business aspects, the you know, the people that are, are deploying data products and saying, how much value does this provide? Should we prioritize it? What is that? And then you look at that and you say, one, did the data work do what we thought it would do? And if not, why, right? Oh, we, we reduced the cycle times from four weeks to three weeks, but it's still three weeks. And the reason is that the people just aren't data literate enough. And so we have to go and actually do one-on-one with them to, to onboard them every time. And even though the platform is ready to onboard them, it doesn't work. So is it the data works fault or is there an externality there? And then you, but you would go to the, the partners and say, we're going to provide you a way to, to measure what this impact is, but you're the one that has to provide value, right? Uh, how much, how much value does it create to increase revenue f- 5%, right? How, uh, well, what are the other aspects of that 5% increase? If it's at negative operating margin, right? If I'm selling at a loss, maybe that's okay because I'm trying to take market share and that's what we're actually aiming for. So that 5% increase, yes, it was worth it. And so, yes, we want to pursue that. Or, you know, no, our, our, our gross margin from a company standpoint, because, you know, this thing shot our margin up, our, our revenue up 20%, but it's at, 50% margin and the rest of our business is at 80% margin. So all of a sudden our gross margin goes from, you know, 80% to 65 or 70% or whatever the math says. And that's a really, really bad thing, right? So how are you actually having those conversations and how historically when people have tried to say justify your data work, it hasn't really... <laughs> You know, it's just kind of been hand wavy because they haven't been able to say, I can't measure the value of the impact, but we can help you measure the impact. So, like, how are you finding those conversations actually going? Because, you know, the finance person wants what what was the the uh, the return on investment on this? And you're like, well, I've got stories for you and you can go (laughs) talk to people and say, this is what the value of that was, but I don't inherently have a dollar figure for you. And that, that as a, fina- a former finance person, that can frustrate people, but you have to have some sense about that. But so <laughs> long, long question, but like, like, how do you think about those different things? Yeah, I mean, this is a serious problem, right? Like, as I said, like having these lofty goals, uh, the, the engineers on the ground may not sort of connect to it, right? They don't see how like every sort of commit they're doing contributes towards it. That's a serious problem. And I don't have a like a silver bullet answer for it, but what do we do? Like we we try few things. One is that, okay, your business, your, your organization may have that longer sort of large goal, but can you break it down into tangible goals for these domains, right? For example, let's say, uh, you know, in a, let's take a retail, for example, right? Like, of course, like, the, the ultimate goal is to sort of increase uh, your customer base, sell more goods, increase revenue, profitability, whatnot, right? That's the goal of the business. But every domain within, say, retail, like the customer growth, they have like a specific um, goal saying that, hey, uh, this year we are going to concentrate on this demographic, growing our customer base within this demographic by X percent, which is like a very specific goal contributing towards the organization goal, right? And maybe you're... Um, your uh, fulfillment department is just focusing on maybe um, 
decreasing the amount, the returns and 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 the mistakes made in sort of delivery and fulfillment right because that is going to contribute towards profitability again right and your uh, let's say supply chain uh, domain is focused on uh, uh, just making uh, sort of data driven decisions on which suppliers to um, uh, prioritize let's say so here each of your domains has like a specific goal which is pl- playing towards your organizational goal and hopefully like your your domain is sort of small enough that that the data team can directly connect to it and and they don't have like 100 things to worry about like they have sort of one thing right okay i'm building data product which allows my marketing team to do uh, targeted campaigns so that uh, and and the measure is that are we sort of increasing my customer base in that demographic like that's sort of uh, easy to measure, right? Of course, like even there, it is it's not a single straight line because you might be building like the the brilliant sort of uh, uh, data product and generating insights. But what if your marketing campaign is not working? Like, what if the content is is kind of missing? So those things are there, and, and there is no um, sort of uh, a perfect answer to it. Uh, but hopefully, like kind of breaking it down to sort of smaller domains and modules, and and having your kind of uh, t- smaller teams uh, the problem sort of becomes easier to spot and, and fix right um, and and even if something sort of fails it, it only fails in something a local a local domain and it doesn't sort of spectacularly blow up uh, this goes back to that blast radius you kind of uh, you're, you're, you're kind of limiting the blast radius within a particular sort of domain so that's how I think uh, we think about it right which is uh, yeah so uh, you still need to think about business but but maybe like create smaller goals which are tangible enough for that the data engineering teams can also sort of connect with and yeah so um and 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 see uh, do these experiments right which like also make sure that it doesn't sort of the feedback loop of once you do something and and to know whether it has worked or not it shouldn't take a year or two years you should know in in let's say a matter of days or or, or weeks try and so, sort of shorten that at that feedback loop um, those are the things we can do, I think. But so, and and I'm trying to pin you down, and I, and I don't think you know. Like you said you don't have the silver bullet, you don't have the magic wand, but like, okay, the marketing team wants to increase conversion rate, so they're going to run an A/B test, and they're going to change, they're going to try these different things, and you've got you know you got to measure your baseline. I think Sadie Martin was the one that was like all these people are doing AB tests and they're never measuring their baseline. <laughs> what are you doing? Right? Like, eh. but you do an AB test and you know, your conversion rate starts at 7% and a is 6.85% and B is 6.7%. What was the value of not changing without running that experiment, right? The value of keeping it at, as it was and understanding that that data work had value, even though the answer was stay the course, don't change, right? Like this is where people get into not experiments. They get into low hanging fruit and you're only looking for low hanging fruit so that you're the only wins you're getting are sure wins and you're only going for very sure things. And usually those aren't the big, big wins. Maybe you you go in and you find a few big wins initially, but then after that, you're just playing kind of small ball. You're playing 
uninteresting data work. So like, again, I'm trying to figure out, have you run across something where the data work was of significant value, even though the end outcome wasn't of significant value, right? Where you go, our hypothesis about the end outcome was wrong, but that doesn't mean the data work itself was invaluable, right? Or or was not valuable. Um, That's a frustrating English word that invaluable also means extremely valuable, Uh, but, but that it was not valuable. And so like, how do you communicate that? Because you're getting into this the value of the work is in making good decisions. And so then how do you add value to, or how do you, you know, kind of attribute value to making the right decision? Because when you have finance people, again, they want to talk numbers and you go, well, the value of not going into this market was that we didn't spend a bunch of time and money and effort because it would have been a bad market for us or to go after this segment. It would have been a very low margin segment or, you know, very high churn segment or whatever. Like, how do you get people on board with that? Have you seen that people are on board with that or that we're still too early in how we communicate that, that people really aren't <laughs> communicating that, that, that well? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Like the, uh, we see that all the time. Right. So, Earlier, if you remember, while I was talking about lean value tree and, and the target operating model, I use the term value hypothesis. Uh, and, and we often use that interchangeably with, uh, with use case. And the reason why we say it's value hypothesis is, of course, you're making a bet. You're making an assumption that if I do this, something good will happen, right? And, you, and when you're making a hypothesis, there is a good chance that you're wrong. But the trick is, to make small mistakes, not not to make one big mistake, but if you can make sort of many smaller mistakes and, and learn from it, uh, you're you're in the right direction, right? Your your process of making decisions is right, right? Your outcome it's not in your control. It could it could always sort of go wrong, right? Your hypothesis could be wrong, or there are other ex- externalities that is sort of affecting the outcome. But it's you should do so. What is in your control, right? Which is about making good decisions. I think you also hinted at that. And, and 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 last part of it is also again culture. Like it should be okay to sort of fail, and as long as your failure is 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 limited and it's a small experiment you're doing, uh, that should be fine. You're and you're learning from it, right? I think that 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 is also another culture shift of of uh, of ha- doing these smaller experiments, right? Uh, within a within a stable product team. You're not just doing one big bang project, and 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 then in the end you get a get something. It's like you're setting up product teams, which can which can which are working on this hypothesis and doing experimentation, and 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 adjusting based on what they learn, based on the feedback loop, and and that's the that's the best we can do, I think, because uh, you will be you will be wrong uh, a lot of the times. It's 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 just that you should you should sort of. When you're wrong, you should make sure that your downside is limited and you're not kind of spectacularly sort of blowing up. I think that's the that's the best we could do, and and that's the that's also for me like the core of what what product thinking is, which is, yeah, you're making these smaller bets, uh, iterating faster, learning, uh, putting uh, software in front of your user, learning from it, um, and 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 adap- adapting. Yeah, right. It's, it, you know, sports betting and stuff like there's 
you know, you say, okay, do I think this, this team's going to win or lose, or, you know, here's the spread between the, these teams or whatever, you know, uh, but you think about like uh, a big, big underdog and you bet on them to win instead of win against the spread and you go, okay, I think they're going to win. It has a big payout. And so it's okay to make those bets. If you understand, Hey, I'm not going to bankrupt myself by going for this crazy payout. There, there was one that I saw that was just kind of a, a, a meme thing of uh, somebody had made this huge, huge bet, like a million plus dollar bet to win like $12,000 because this team was so favored and it didn't go their way. Right. <laughs> and so it's like, why are you making that big of a bet for something that's just not going to, you know, pay you off that much and has a huge downside. So, um, yeah, so, uh, you know, there were, uh, so I, I, if I can sum up a lot of what you're saying, it's so much of this is just communication. It's not that you say, here is the framework. I can just go into a company, that company, the people that are understanding the, um, that are asking for the ROI and things like that of like, why do, why are we making these bets? They have to understand, here's the value of what we're doing and why these bets that didn't pay off are still of value. It's because we didn't make a big decision that then cost us. Um, so you had two other things that I wanted to, to make sure we did uh, cover as well. One was like getting out of your way and shipping value early and often. I think a lot of what you've been saying kind of circles around this of just like <laughs> make small bets, get to, to things like, you don't have to, I, I think of um, project versus product, right? You're, you're uh, the project, you're trying to deliver all the value at once. Instead of product, you're trying to build into incremental value. So like, how have you found that conversation around getting people out of their own way to ship value and, and, and ship early and often and to get to that incremental value and build? Yeah, I mean, uh, this is, I mean, this is the only way I know how to build software. I have always sort of done this, right? And it's, it still surprises me how sort of uncommon it is when, when we kind of uh, uh, talk to um, huge uh, or, or big organization. And, and I think like the last part is also like this concept of, uh, what's that? Uh, minimum viable product, right? I feel that's one of the most misinterpreted terms out there which is uh it's not especially like we see that in one like a few of these big companies like especially if it's this project is it driven they don't want to sort of put something in front of the business where they kind of lose face that's why we, we keep hearing that so often right and and the the minimum viable product is neither minimum or a lot of the times not viable just because they kind of uh made the wrong assumptions and and they didn't sort of manage to sort of test it in front of the user before it was too late and yeah and that's why like we keep at least i i started using this first thin slice because this sort of conveys the term better like the, it's not just a, especially in the context of data mesh it's not just the first thin slice of 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 the product you're building but of the platform and the and also the governance changes you want to affect and and we keep sort of reiterating that yeah you want to evolve your mesh one thin slice at a time um yeah, it is. It is a difficult message, but I I feel like people people do get it now, right? It's not uh, it's not a revolutionary thing anymore, uh, especially sort of when the product ownership and and those things becoming uh, effect uh, sort of more popular. Uh, 
it's about how do we apply to the apply the same principle to the world of data how do you kind of imagine the the first thin slice which is valuable how do you it's it's a, it's primarily kind of a design thing right uh, it's it's very easy to imagine like this finally sort of big thing which is perfect and polished but it it is it takes some practice to start imagining what is the first iteration which goes end to end which kind of de-risks a lot of the assumptions uh, that that we might be making and what how does it look what does that first thin slice look and who are going to be my users for it and 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 what are the what is the first thin slice of like the supporting platform and and the and the, and the governance i need to put in place it takes some imagination um uh, that's what that's what we do. Uh, at least that's what I like doing. Uh, help our clients come up with that and 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 come up with that approach or uh, and consult them on what is the viable thing that we can build, which is still useful, but de-risk a lot of assumptions we might be making and and put you in a put you in a path where you you're kind of you're able to ship those uh, incremental value uh, frequently and and uh, and and sort of iteratively. And so Andrew P is had talked about like to get to actual data quality, you have to put something in front of uh, your consumers, your customers or whatever of the data, but it has to be of good enough quality where they're not going to go, well, this is, I can't ever trust this. So like, are you finding that some of this is also upping the data fluency, the data literacy of the consumers so that you can say, this is not fully baked. We need to collaborate. If you are not ready to collaborate, we will not work with you. Like, is that the 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 line that you have to draw in the sand where you go, look, this is how data works. It isn't a one or a zero. We have to be collaborative on this or it won't work. And if you're not going to agree to that, that's okay, but we're not going to work with you. Like, is that, is that like as drastic of a line in the sand as you have to draw? Because otherwise, again, people go, well, this one thing's wrong. And so I can never trust this again. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's sort of that hard a line. Like, I think most people are reasonable. Like when, when we talk to them and, and start sort of how this is done, as I said, like people have kind of difficulty imagining what it might look like. What is the first iteration of, of it, of it look like? And 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 it's about like expelling that sort of distrust or or fear that okay this will be set in stone no this is not set in stone it's probably set in water you can actually it's software is malleable right we can respond to your your uh, uh, asks uh, faster uh, and it's about sort of giving that confidence and and once they start start seeing it right uh, once they start the team is able to kind of iterate incorporate feedbacks and 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 change stuff fast right um, uh, most people do come around it's about like it's about doing it the first time uh, which which takes a lot of effort and, and, and convincing uh, but but yeah I think uh, uh, it's it is possible like, uh, that's what we try, try at least to do right like even even the, if there are distractors like once you start sort of building the first uh, once you start shipping like the first iterations and uh, most people do come around when when they see uh, that this is a reality. Yeah, I think it's explicit, implicit, right? Like if you get explicit with someone and say, you must understand that this is not set in stone and we're putting it in front of you so that we can get it to a better place. Like this is, 
I'm not, again, I'm not delivering a project to you, right? It's not, this is your meal. I have uh, delivered it to you and I'm going to go away. It's like, hey, we're, we're working to make this something that's uh, where we're cooking together. So um, right. I, I did want to want to hit on the, the last point that you wanted to talk about, which is like early in your data mesh journey, like how do you start to pick out your your tech? Like what's necessary? What are the capabilities that you see as necessary so that people can actually like think about what is actually a data product? How can you make this so that it is easy to create and maintain the data products that you're not, you're focused on that actual product lifecycle and things like that. So you've seen a lot of these early journeys. I would love to just turn it over to you and you can just kind of wax poetic about uh, what are some good things for people to actually think about and, and what maybe are, what are the things where you go, you know what, leave this for later or leave this on manual mode. Don't try, you know, automated access control via APIs and things like that. I, I think people try and do that way too early because it's one of the things that Jamac is coming from the uh, operating side of like, we got to a place where these APIs do have automated access control and there's, you know, kind of privacy by design in them and we need to get there with data, but we're nowhere near, we don't even know how to really do analytical APIs very well, right? Like, do you want to paginate through a, Hey, I'm going to pull a hundred thousand records. I'm going to paginate through and grab each record individually, <laughs> or can I run the filter and grab that as one? We don't really have a great way often of, of writing that in API form. So, um, but like, what are the things that you recommend people focus on and maybe what are some anti-patterns and, and, you know, just kind of turn the floor over to you of, of when people are really thinking about early in their journey, what, what's your recommendation? What's your kind of advice? And where, where have you, what anti-patterns can you help people avoid? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's an interesting question, which, which goes in the direction of uh, basically what is architecture and what kind of architecture decisions you need to make early on, right? Um, I like this loose definition or, or definition that by Martin Fowler, which he, where he says, architecture uh, is about the important stuff, whatever that is, right? So you want to make these architectural decisions, uh, like, and the good decisions are are those which are basically, uh, which are so the good architectural decisions are those which are kind of harder to sort of reverse. Like if you if you take if you decide on something and and it's sort of harder to decide uh, later on, so you want to you want to make those decisions now. Uh, some decisions are easy to reverse. You don't have to worry too much about them, right? So I'll give you an example. So. For most large organizations who are, who want to sort of uh, going down the lane, sort of uh, 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 going down the data mesh journey, uh, you need to be on one of the public crowds. I, I think it's very difficult to build something like this if you are in a manage completely sort of data center that you're managing on your own. Uh, you need a lot of. I think it's. I would say like close to impossible, right? Uh, you need to be on some sort of a um, public cloud which gives you this horizontal scaling capabilities, uh, infrastructure as code, uh, and, and and security by design. So that's the first thing, right? So you you need to, you probably, it's a good idea uh, to be on some public cloud if you're a large organization, uh, because th this decision is going to be sort of harder to reverse later on. You, you may have to sort of rebuild a lot of things. Once you're there, uh, don't sort of go too, too, uh, big about okay pu putting the 
perfect platform with all of the capabilities all at once, which you're hinting at, right? So let's say if you have one data product team, like your first data product team in your domain, so, so what do they need to ship value? Uh, they probably need some storage on, on your public cloud. They need some way of computing things. And then they probably need a way of exposing the data uh, to its end users. And the end users could be uh, other engineers who are building sort of APIs, or it could be your data analyst who would want to do some ad hoc analysis on, on the data, like data scientists who, or, or, or data scientists who would want to sort of build some ML models on it, right? So what kind of capabilities you are you you need? You need storage, compute, some way to sort of publish it and, and control sort of access uh, uh, on it. And if you're doing ML, you need some you need some way of uh, basically uh, building those models and and and, and publishing them uh, and putting them to sort of use, right? So build that capability so that you kind of build that end-to-end use case where oh, you need some probably uh, some capabilities to ingest your data, especially if uh, if it's on uh, coming from let's say your legacy on-premise systems, you need a way of securely sort of transferring the data from from your uh, operational systems into the cloud. So those would be the basic capabilities you need in the first place to ship maybe the first use case. Uh, but once you start to scale, right, once you start having more domains on board, you then run into a problem where um, uh, the, the teams need to discover what other data products are there so that they can build on it. And you also need a way of establishing sort of consensus uh, such that the teams, when they say something is a data product, they mean the same thing, which means that you need some, um, maybe a centralized catalog where you can represent what this data product is, uh, where you can publish uh, what this is about and people can sort of read upon it and, and consume it on their own sort of basis, right? Uh, you pro- also probably like once the people start using this data product and and it goes into production, you also need capabilities where the teams can monitor what is happening and and react on on failures. So you 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 add that right. You see where I'm going. Like in the, in the beginning, you don't need all of it. You you start with basic compute, storage, some ingestion uh, 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 mechanism, and and maybe a workbench for your uh, data scientist and and your and, and your data analyst. And then you sort of gradually build. You introduce a catalog once you have more domains team they need to discover. And then you kind of harden the definition of, of what a data product is. So you need some kind of metadata management uh, tool. Uh, and then you once your consumers sort of uh, grow and, and you start using, uh, they start using your data products in sort of uh, mission critical uh, sort of uh, use cases, then you need you need to you need good monitoring and alerting systems so that you can react faster to the failures and, and, and fix them, right? Uh, and then as you grow, you need to sort of put together all of these thing about like uh, fine-grained access control and, and the way to automate it, right? Um, and 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 I'll, I'll be also honest and say that not all the technologies you need to have this federated team work seamlessly, it doesn't exist. We are kind of building it as we go along. Um, one of the main areas is, is uh, how do these uh, teams sort of share data, especially if they're on... Uh, some sort of a polyglot storage. Like let's say one team is on 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 Redshift, the another team is on on Snowflake. How do they sort of seamlessly uh, share this data product without having having to physically copy data from one one cluster to another? That's a that's a that's a gap that that currently exists, right? And and there are no easy answer for it. Uh, there are workarounds, but there is no sort of very good answer for it. Um, 
and, and also things like how do you do sort of very fine grained um, 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 policy as code, like access control and and and, and def- defining policies as code. Uh, there are a few tools out there, but sort of nothing is is perfect. All of this is evolving. I'm pretty sure as the as this technique becomes popular, these tools will start to emerge. That's what we saw happen with with microservices, right? Like in the beginning, there was nothing. Like people, we were just deploying this microservices on whatever uh, the, the 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 web server we had, and then the Kubernetes came along, which made it easier to sort of manage this cluster and 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 deploy microservices as a spec. Uh, and then uh, we saw that the service mesh, service mesh came along to kind of handle a lot of the uh, the, the common concerns, like cross-cutting concerns with this microservice team, like things like monitoring, logging, and, and access control. So that you you saw that like once the, the technique became popular, that the kind of the tools evolved to to fill that gap. And we are yet to see that with data mesh. It's still very early on. We are kind of fashioning a data mesh on the tools that that we had for. For, for for traditional data engineering and, and data warehouses, uh, but but things are changing as this kind of techniques become um, popular. You will see uh, we already start we have already started seeing uh, uh, the tools that are specifically designed to uh, cater for these sort of autonomous data product, which which we say is kind of the fundamental building block or, or an architectural quantum of the mesh. Uh, how does it actually? Uh, um, live and 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 transfer like data between different sort of data products. We we are seeing different kind of solutions and technologies sort of emerge for it, but it's still sort of early days. Which also means that you don't want to over-engineer your platform. You want to you want to stay flexible. You want to do the bare minimum you need to solve the problem at hand and keep your options open for these new technologies that will that are emerging to which makes this. Much easier to build and operate data products, right? So, so yeah, that's that's the that's what that's my kind of uh, approach and a tip. So don't imagine like one big platform which is going to solve all your problem. Stay nimble. Uh, just build enough capabilities to sort of cater to your existing data product teams, and then keep your options open because this 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 technique is only now becoming more popular, and and we are seeing tools sort of emerge uh, to to cater to that need. Yeah, and. and- one thing that I would extract out of there, and I want to make sure that I'm not putting words in your mouth, but that uh, you talked about uh, not one big platform. And so you think about we're providing services, right? The users do not care if it is one unified platform or if it is 15 smaller platforms that work together to offer them services. They care about their user experience and can they achieve what they're trying to do? So trying to over-engineer things and create the one platform to rule them all is, is so counterproductive and so such a bad anti-pattern. But it is the way we've thought about things because we've had the one data lake to rule them all. Right. And, but when you're thinking about you know, decentralized data, you think about not just distributed systems architecture, but you think about decentralized architecture as well. And that you go, okay, if I am providing, you know, the self-service platform to a data scientist, 
that's going to look different than if I'm providing it to a business analyst. And it's going to look way different than if I'm providing it to an exec, right? They want to go in and say, okay, I've got these questions. Okay, I've got pre-canned answers that are already here in my dashboard. That's what they're they're self-serving from. And if they've got other questions and, you know, you give them the capabilities to potentially answer those, probably pairing with somebody rather than being like, I want all of my execs to be able to write, you know, complex, uh, multi-threaded, you know, SQL queries or something like that, where, it's, oh, okay, I I need, you know, uh, to be able to join from 15 different sources and understand the difference between left join, inner join, right join, you know, all that fun stuff. But that it's so much about don't solve for all of your problems until you come across those problems. And even then, don't necessarily try to solve for them. Try to have a workaround until that, that's you're going to be able to easily fix later and replace with something when you find something that works for you, but that it's not you know, you overly tie yourself to point solutions instead of as a product that's supposed to serve the broader set of use cases. Is that kind of, if I were to sum up a lot of what you were saying, is that what, well, a lot of what was kind of coming through there? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And and, and I especially like the, the point you made, which I didn't say, but I, I like that. I, I want to reinforce it, which is about basically, is this just one platform to rule them all, right? It, it is not like when you're, especially when you're, uh, when you're like a large organization, you are going to probably have like few platforms right and uh, uh, which caters to sort of different needs uh, and the user definitely is not going to care uh, at the same time you don't want every product team to build their own platform and that's also a wrong approach because platform don't ship value the product is ships value right so it, it's in a spectrum it is kind of it's not one and it's not like one per team but it's somewhere you need a handful which which kind of covers all the different engineering needs of your data product teams right some may uh, some some domains are sophisticated they have the capability to kind of uh, um, uh, deal with infrastructure as code uh, maybe some other plat- uh, domains are smaller they want some canned solutions or, or a low code platform uh, to 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 run with right so you need to take all of that into account uh, and, and, and 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 you need like the the minimum number of of uh, sort of platform which caters to sort of different uh, uh, um, ways your your data product team uh, wants to use and, and and build and ship data product. Yeah, well, and it was something that you mentioned earlier about reuse, right? Like that reuse on the architecture side is is crucial because if you don't have that reuse, then what are you doing, right? So right. Um, well, we've covered a whole heck of a lot of things. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to, or any way that you'd want to kind of wrap up the episode? No, I think I think we spoke about uh, about uh, a lot of things, right? Uh, maybe just to sort of reinforce. I, I tell this to uh, like all my clients is that um, yeah, data mesh has this sort of four principles, and and you need to sort of make make progress on on each one of them because these principles are interconnected and kind of they they reinforce each other, right? And it doesn't if you just drop one of those principles let's say you you drop say domain orientation or you drop like say federated governance the others are not going to uh, work so well right you need to make progress on on each of those uh, but at the same time like there you need to sort of lead with one of one or few of them right you need to sort of get that right and i often tell that if you have to sort of get one of those principles right sort of aspire to get data as product right 
and and i think the rest of the principle kind of tend to fall into place if you kind of aspire at excelling at data as a product because there's no no way to do that right without without proper domain orientation or without sort of creating uh self service platform uh, that 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 el- that enables you to sort of scale these data product teams how many of those within your organization so so maybe that's that's one thing to sort of wrap up and and reinforce which is that yeah if if you want to sort of pick one like pick data as a product and 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 aim to get that right and and the rest will follow there's a reason that this is uh, Data Mesh Radio is on the Data as a Product podcast network. I, I think you know Data Mesh <laughs> is a very very big concept, but Data as a Product is also a large concept that isn't just inside Data Mesh. And I think you know just shipping data products is not Data as a Product. So, um, well, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that would love to follow up with you. Is there any particular place you'd like them to, or anything specific you'd like them following up about? Um, I'm, I'm active on LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, I'm not on any other sort of social network, so you can, you can reach to me on, on both. I'll provide the link, uh, later, uh, you can probably look it up in the transcript. Yeah. I, I love talking about this. This is what I, uh, data mesh is what, uh, is, is occupying my sort of mind, uh, of late. Uh, I'm, I'm a big sort of, uh, fan of like bringing all of these good software engineering practices we've been following in the rest of the, uh, rest of the software engineering world to the world of data right this is this is what i'm i'm interested in and, and passionate about and and spend a lot of my waking time thinking about these days and yeah i, I if you if you um, like what i said and, and want to chat more please do reach out to me on e- either of these uh, channels and and i'll be happy to chat yeah, and we'll drop links to those in the show notes as per usual. Well, uh, Kieran, thank you so much for spending the time with us here today and kind of sharing your your expertise. And as well, thank you everyone out there for listening. Thanks a lot, Scott. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Kieran Prakash, who's the principal engineer at ThoughtWorks. You can find a link to his LinkedIn and the blog post we mentioned about the curse of the data lake monster in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. April of 2023, I left Datastacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.